Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We have been discussing uh, for the last several weeks, uh, and I know Myrna taught along the lines of obedience last week, so that's going to be a perfect setup for where we're going, but we've been talking about intimacy Knowing the Father and the Father knowing us, right? Uh, We know in Matthew chapter 7, the scripture says that there will be those that will come before the Lord and they will say, did we not do many signs? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not have all these, all the right activity? But he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And so we're not talking about relationship minus activity, but we're talking about relationship that produces activity. We're we're not making small of the activity of the believer, of the command to go ye therefore into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not minimizing the laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, and the casting out of demons, and uh, uh, the the restoring of of sight to the blind and restoring of of the hearing to the deaf. We're not minimizing those things, but we are getting to the source of where those things ought to come from because we recognize that we could even be producing the right activity, the right behaviors, the right patterns. We, We could be inundated with activity. And we said that from the beginning, that the enemy, if he can't keep you from God, he will get you so wore out serving God that you accept it as a counterfeit without even knowing it. You accept it as an alternative that says, I must be close to God. Look what I'm doing. I must be close to God. Look at my righteous activity. And wouldn't that be such a a dreadful day to think that we did all this activity but never established a relationship with the one that produces the activity? Wouldn't it be a sad day that he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us that literally dwells in us and even comes upon us and yet we miss the whole relationship with the Father and that is what truly yields the power and the potential of the believer in someone's life. And you might say, how is it that uh, somebody that is apparently so far from God Uh, knows so little about him, how is it that this individual could produce these signs and these wonders? Well, uh, we covered that. It's because uh, God desires so much so to reach a lost world and to proclaim his love and to uh, demonstrate the kingdom of God in action, not just in word, that uh, he loves so much to get to you that he'll even use imperfect people. And at the end of the day, we're all imperfect. At the end of the day, we're all uh, uh, have some sort of hang up, mess up, shortfall, downside, whatever you want to call it. And yet he uses us uh, in spite of those things and he perfects what we cannot perfect. But at the end of the day, we don't want the activity and we don't want to be, uh, have our religious schedules and, and look back at the end of a 24-hour day and say, I checked off all these boxes and yet I never devoted myself to him. I never devoted myself to a relationship with him. I never devoted myself to truly get to know him. I knew about him. But Paul said, man, I knew about this thing. I knew the law better than anybody. 
I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. I mean, from a young child, from a young age, I was reciting this and rehearsing this, and, and I knew. And, and, and think about this. This is amazing about Paul's life. When he was knocked off that horse, blinded, he didn't change God's. He thought he was doing all that imprisoning and beating and killing in the name of God. He didn't start serving a different God. He got into a relationship with him. And in that relationship, gained the heart of the father and gained the values of the father and gained the love of the father and gained the message of the father. And so he didn't change God's. He, he didn't say, okay, I'm gonna stop living for the devil. I'm gonna start living for the father. He thought he was doing all those things in the name of the father. He thought he was doing all those things and pursuing this so-called kingdom that they had been sitting around waiting for. Uh, he, he thought he was doing all those in that name and saw Jesus as a heretic and saw his message as heresy and eventually was trying to do to Christians what the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did to Jesus. But in that moment, when he comes face to face with the Lord, gets knocked off that horse. He says, who are you, Lord? He asked the question and answered it in the same sentence and came face to face with this one that he thought he was advancing the kingdom with and he came come to find out, I've been kicking against. I've been pushing against, but no longer and I, am I gonna be zealous and passionate uh, against the kingdom. I wanna be zealous and passionate for the kingdom. And that's all it takes is one moment like that. Don't tell me you're too far gone. Don't tell me that you've done too much. Don't tell me that you're too far separated and that, that, that your, your resume uh, 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 eliminates you uh, from being a qualified candidate to pursue the kingdom of God. He was putting Christians in jail and eventually became one making Christians. The greatest advancer of the kingdom of God wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Starting churches everywhere he goes, he couldn't be stopped. Just as he couldn't be stopped against the kingdom, he couldn't be stopped for the kingdom. So you need to know that today, but we need to get to know the Father, amen. We need to get to know the Father. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about uh, this relationship. We've talked about benefits of intimacy. We've talked about what produces intimacy. We've talked about what identifies intimacy. Of course, we can relate this to some of our closest relationships here on earth, but there are measures and there are indicators that we ought to be able to look at in our lives as markers to say, am I doing as well as I thought I was? Is my devotion where, I, where it should be? Is my, are my values in line with his values? You know, that's so easy to get confused, our value system. We live in a world that, that has an upside down value system. We value all the wrong things. And so it should be pretty easy to distinguish these are kingdom values, not worldly values. These are worldly values, not kingdom values. But the enemy knows how to corrupt these things. He knows how to twist these things. He knows how to uh, pervert these things. And so we need to keep the word the main thing in our lives. It sets the standard. It creates the values. It generates my motivations, right? I wanna, be va I wanna value what he values. And I wanna be promoting what he promotes. I wanna love what he loves, but you know what else that means? That means you must hate what he hates. 
Amen. There's too much tolerance and there's too much acceptance, uh, too many disclaimers, I feel like. And so we, we call it a sin, but in a roundabout way, call it a sin. And God's like, no, this is abomination. This is wickedness. This is evil doing, he calls it. It will separate you. It will keep you permanently separated from me forever if you don't turn away from this, abandon this, let this go. Don't accept it in seed form. Don't accept it in little form. Don't accept it because it's 2023 and everybody's doing it. Don't accept it because, well, I'm gonna be the only one not doing it. That's the way righteousness works, if you've noticed. Righteousness stands all by itself. It doesn't need a parade. It doesn't need a partner. It doesn't need likes on Facebook. It doesn't need all the activity that unrighteousness needs. You ever notice unrighteous people can't stand by themselves? They need a party. They have to walk in the streets. They have to parade it around. They have to get the majority vote. They have to get the buy-in from the multitude. But righteousness will just stand all by itself. Y'all do what you want to do. Well, this is what it looks like when you gain the heart of the Father and the value system of the kingdom. It'll isolate you real quick. It'll set you apart real quick, amen? And so we've talked about these things. But tonight I want to journey into uh, a topic. Maybe you've heard uh, some on it. Maybe you've heard none on it. Maybe you've heard a lot on it. But we want to talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And, uh, you know, it, it might sound like a weird phrase, especially if, it's, if you're new uh, to the kingdom of God, new to the, the value systems of the kingdom? What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? To be, does that mean you're afraid of God? Does that mean you're fearful of God? Because there were people in the Bible that were fearful of him. There were people in the Bible, if you remember the parable of the talents, we've got three different individuals. One was given five talents, one was given two, one was given one. The five and the two, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you, you've traded well, you've done well, enter the, the joy of the Lord, enter the rest of the Lord, right? But there was one servant that buried his one talent and he made this statement, because I was fearful, you being a hard man. So there is a fear of God. That's unhealthy fear. God doesn't lead or guide us out of fear. God doesn't lead or direct us or guide us out of, if you don't do this, you're going to get this. Right? That, that's a fear of punishment. That's a fear of of, uh, you know, what is he going to do to me? What's the consequence? What's the outcome? That's the wrong kind of fear. We're not talking about that kind of fear. But this word fear, as in fear of the Lord, actually means awe or admiration. It means awe or admiration. And some other ways that we can identify the fear of the Lord is you could put it this way. It's a fear of being separated from him. So it's not a fear of what's gonna happen as in an outcome, but it is a fear of, I don't wanna be in a place you're not. I don't wanna accept things you don't. I don't wanna allow or tolerate things that you don't allow or tolerate. I want to, I wanna be so in tune with your heart. I wanna be so in line with your heart. And so this intimacy level, it demands a healthy fear of the Lord. We could also put it this way. Uh, a fear of the Lord is uh, 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 delighting in obedience. 
when there's a fear of the Lord, you delight in obedience. His pleasure is your pleasure. His delights are your delights. If he commands it, you do it. It's that simple. There was a, a, a minister, uh, you may have heard of John Bevere. John Bevere uh, travels and, and ministers as a great ministry out of Colorado. And um, uh, he, in the early 90s, got to meet a former minister. This individual wasn't necessarily a pastor, but he was a very influential minister in the 80s. Probably one of the most influential Christians uh, during that time. Had a TV show. Uh, he, uh, uh, they, they were doing you know, global efforts and global missions, but in the late 80s, early 90s, things began to come out about this guy. He was an adulterer. He was uh, embezzling money. They were, uh, you know, doing the whole compulsion to give. If you give right now, you'll get blah, 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 blah. There's, you know, a whole list of them. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, the, this individual was doing some extremely awful things in the name of Jesus and in the name of ministry. Turns off people to ministry, doesn't it? All you need is one of those to... It takes years to rebound from that kind of stuff. I've talked to people today that, that, you know, have ill toward the church or ill toward the gospel or even Christianity as a whole because of one person failing them, one leader, somebody that they esteemed, somebody that they honored, somebody that they thought you surely would be holding the standard. Well, this individual ended up uh, getting caught and doing some things so horrible that he ended up in prison, serving time. John Bevere got to meet this individual in prison and got to talk to him because John Bevere had actually written a book in the early 90s on the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. He's got actually two different books on the fear of the Lord. He's got one, I think it's just called The Fear of the Lord and then another one called The Awe of God. Really good books, I recommend them. But he had written this first one in the early 90s and this individual had reached out to him from prison and said, man, I wanna, I wanna meet you, I wanna talk to you. So he met him. Got to meet him, you know, right there in the common area of the prison while he's still incarcerated. And they're having a conversation and John Bevere asked him, he said, yeah, I just got to know, where along the lines that your, your ministry got so big, the TV show got so big, your influence got so big, money began to leave, where did you fall out of love with God? When did it happen? And the individual responded and said, I loved God the whole time. And John was like, no, no you, you didn't hear me. When did you fall out of love? There's no way you could have said, God, I love you. And this kind of activity was happening in your life. He said, no, I loved him with my heart. The problem was I didn't fear him. And we have an issue today where everybody knows God loves them. We sing the song, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? We know this from a child, at least if you've been raised in those environments. And, and there's even unbelievers that haven't even confessed Jesus as Lord, but they know, you know, even though I'm, I'm living my own life and living against the commands of, of his word and, I'm, and I, I have no pursuit, he loves me. Everyone knows that fact. And, and, and everyone to a degree believes that they love him in return. Because you know this, that it's not the love of God that saves you, it's the 
reciprocated love of God. He takes the first step, but the step has to have a response. I mean, the Bible says that he desires that none perish, not, no, not one. He desires that we all end up in eternity with him. He desires that we all live to fulfill his plan. And yes, the, the love of God is powerful, so powerful that he loved you before you ever were guaranteed to respond appropriately. And most won't. But the love of God, or even us believing that we love God, if it's not accompanied with this fear of God, with this awe and this admiration of God and this adoration and this delighting in his law and delighting in his word and delighting in obedience, keeping his law and keeping, if it's not accompanied with that, it will still fall short. And we will say, I love you. And we'll do the signs and we'll do the wonders and we'll do the, the prophesying and the casting out of demons and all the other activity that's associated that we think, man, they must really love the Lord. But it must be accompanied with a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord, one that delights in obedience. Write this down. The fear of God protects The fear of God protects authenticity and intimacy. The fear of God protects authenticity and intimacy. When we do not have a healthy fear of the Lord, we find our values shifting. We find our opinions beginning to be exalted over his word we begin to confuse God's mercy as as acceptance. We begin to confuse, see that there is a level of getting too close to somebody. And that word that we use for that is called familiarity. The dangerous thing is familiarity can oftentimes look like intimacy. It carries all the same external activity with it, yet you're not joined. You're not in tune. You're not sharing of heart. You're not uh, uh, in, there's not that oneness in in that sameness that we talk about with intimacy. And so sometimes, we end up, rather than becoming intimate with the Father, we become familiar with the Father. And if we will keep a healthy fear of the Lord in our life, it will guard that intimacy. It will keep you in a posture where you can get close without becoming too familiar. It'll keep you in a posture where you can be close, but you still honor, esteem, and value, and worship, and adore, and admire as if it was the first day that you ever met him. That's the way it should be. And the fear of the Lord guards this. When there is a, when the fear of the Lord begins to wane, familiarity begins to increase. Familiarity rivals the fear of the Lord. It is the direct rival to the fear of the Lord. And that's where the enemy wants you to live. You remember in Mark chapter six, I don't even have this in my notes, but you can write it down. In Mark chapter six, Jesus comes to his own hometown 
right? And you remember what it says about Jesus when he would travel. He would go about all the towns and all the villages, preaching the kingdom of God and what? Healing all kinds of disease, healing all that were sick, healing all that came before him. But he comes to Nazareth. He comes to his own hometown, to his own people. He opens up the scripture there in uh, Luke chapter four is the same account. He, he opens up the scripture and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? It's found in Isaiah. They had no problem with him reading the scripture. They just had a problem with him becoming the scripture. Because then after he reads the scripture, he says, and today, this word is fulfilled in front of you. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're just a carpenter's kid. You're just one of us. Who does he think he is? We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mom, his dad. Right? And because of their familiarity, it actually, re, it actually says this. The only time it says it about Jesus' ministry, he could do no mighty work there except heal a, a few sick people. Now, what in the world is what could cause that? What in the world could cause this mighty man that's walking the earth and not one thing stops him? But he comes home to his own people people that know him better than anybody. It's because they've grown too familiar. It's because they could not reconcile the son of man with the son of God. They couldn't reconcile that the carpenter is also the redeemer. The carpenter is the anointed Messiah that we've been waiting for and believing for. And ultimately they kill him and crucify him because he claims to be somebody that they can't reconcile. This is really who he is. It's a familiarity. But when you keep a healthy fear of the Lord in your life, it keeps that familiarity at bay. It causes you to wake up in the morning with the recognition and an admiration of who he really is. Everybody wants Jesus to be their buddy. Everybody wants Jesus to be their friend. Everybody wants Jesus to be their savior. And he'll be those things. He says that I, I, don't, I no longer call you servants, I call you friend. He makes that statement. We know that he is a savior, right? He came to save the world. But there's one thing that you must receive Jesus as first if you're gonna receive anything else and you must receive Jesus as Lord. In fact, I'll just be bold enough to make this statement. Jesus was never supposed to be savior. The only reason he had to become a savior is because we failed to comply in the garden. But he was always Lord because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's always been that. And the only reason we needed him to be a savior is because we failed to make him Lord. And so I need him to be a savior so that I can make him Lord of my life once again. But the goal was to get to the Lordship of Jesus, not just the friendship of Jesus. And if, if, if he's not your Lord, you're gonna have a hard time making him your friend. I mean, he even says, my disciples, they obey my commands. My disciples are those that do what I say. The only reason he could 
If you go back to that verse, I guess it's found in John chapter 15, that the only reason he could say, uh, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, is because you do what I ask you to do, and you go where I ask you to go, and you say what I ask you. There's a compliance, there's an obedience, there's a oneness, there's a sameness. You are a reflection. Now we're friends. And, and it's not friend like you and I think, just buddy, buddy, I, I have to uh, pet you on the back every time you mess up, and I have to sympathize with your problems. That's not friendship. You need a friend that can look you in the face and say, man, you're missing it. We need those kind of friends. Don't even allow that word friend to get uh, diluted by the world's idea of a friend that just lets you do whatever you want to do. That's not a friend, and you know it. You know it. You know that's not really a friend. You might like what they're saying, and it might feel good when they're coming alongside and saying, man, you got every right to cuss them out. I heard what they said to you. I, I know what they did to you. But you know a real friend would be like, you need to walk in love. A real friend says, I understand they offended you. I understand that they deserted you. I understand they left you. Have you thought about washing their feet? That's what a real friend would do. And so when Jesus says, I call you friend, what he's, what he's really saying is, as a servant, you did work for me. As a friend, you'll do work with me. We're coming into a partnership. We're coming into agreement. You're no longer doing this for me. I'm bringing you in on this thing and you're gonna now do this with me. We're gonna be one in this, amen? And so the fear of God protects this authenticity. The, the fear of God keeps familiarity at bay. I mean, this is you know, why we have the issues that we have in, in, in marriages today is because we just grow familiar with one another. I mean, it's the, it's the, you have to understand that the closest relationships are the ones that run the greatest risk of familiarity. The closer you get, you begin to let your guard down and you begin to, uh, you know, uh, uh, just accept things and, and, and you, 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 you begin to forget to say, I love you every day and, and, and just the, the busyness of life and, and you just start to take for granted. There's no longer that honor and that esteeming and that value. You have to be intentional to keep that up. It is not the natural progression to grow deeper in love with another person. It's not. It's a lot of work. And it's the same in our relationship with the Father. Not work as in striving, but work as in I refuse to grow familiar in this relationship and esteem you as anything lower than who you really are. I will give you the full honor. I will give you the full value. I will give you my full attention. Let's look at some of these verses. I've talked long enough. Let's look at what the word says. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse six says, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. The reason why we have such a sin problem in the world today is because there's a lack of the fear of the Lord. Just the other day, and I hate to even promote these things. That's why I don't use names because, you know, one, I uh, am believing 
that the mercy of God will be extended to these individuals, that they will turn from their wicked ways and that they will align their hearts once again with his values. But secondly, is you just don't wanna go around promoting what the devil's doing. Just talk about what God is doing. But just the other day, a, a former per pastor that's now, you know, what they call an influencer, I guess, an on online internet influencer has podcasts and does these blogs or whatever else they do on the internet, uh, uh, told it, it literally on video, on the podcast, and even it wasn't even an accident because you, you don't edit it and chop it up and then put it on the internet if it's an accident. Like you can take it back in the moment and say, you know what, probably shouldn't release that. But you went to great lengths to share that the Lord told you that you needed to start cussing in your messages to, I see your heads, some of y'all about to like spin your head right off the top of your neck. And use this whole illustration of, 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 uh, uh, when a fisherman fishes, they put bait on the end of the hook to draw in the fish and we're fishers of men. I'll tell you right now, God is not baiting anyone into the kingdom of God. He calls them with his love into repentance from something. And I don't need to do the thing that I'm hoping you turn from to gain you. And you're gonna be up for a big shock when I say, hey, I know I did this to get you in, but now you need to let that go. I'm gonna keep saying these words because I got other people to reach, but you need to stop cussing. About as delusional as we can get. At the end of the day, what is it? There's no fear of the Lord. There's no fear of the Lord. And that's how we end up calling up, down, and down, up, and left, right, and right, wrong, and whatever else. How do we end up here? We don't, Keep the fear of the Lord. He says, when you have a fear, healthy fear of the Lord, you abandon what's evil. In the living, the new living translation, it reads this way, unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. So Jesus did his part, and I don't believe he did his atoning for our accepting. I believe he did his atoning for our abandoning. And what kind of slap in the face is it that Jesus endured what he endured so that we can come back and make an excuse for tolerance of sin? No, he's saying, I've made atonement. I paid the ultimate price. You couldn't live this way on your own. It's not by your own works. It's by faith through grace, right? But now I've got an activity from beyond, I'm not, I'm not doing these things for salvation. I'm doing these things from salvation. Does that make sense? And the fear of the Lord helps me abandon or depart from evil. Proverbs chapter three and verse five. Proverbs chapter three and verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, God, what do you think about this? God, what do you say about this? It's, it's just a, a simple mutual consideration. That's what it is. It's a considering and involving the Holy Spirit and involving God in the process. 
And so easily we can just, and, 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 and we need to keep that activity in place just so we can keep the habit formed. What I mean is, is involve him even if you think you know the answer. Pray about it, acknowledge the Lord, consider what he wants you to do. Father, I, I, I believe I'm making the right decision. I believe I know where you're leading me, but I, I wanna consider your voice in the midst of this. What does it do? It keeps your heart soft and yielded so we don't think or get into our minds that my thoughts are automatically his thoughts and my desires are automatically his. See, that's part of intimacy is that you gain. I already know what, what my wife wants. I already know what she likes. I already know what she dislikes. I already know the places she'd like to go eat and the places she doesn't want to go eat. I already know these things. But sometimes out of just consideration, just consideration, why? Because I want to stay softened, softened and yielded toward that and not ever assume or get out of habit of considering what she wants. It's the same way with the Lord. I want to keep my heart yielded. I want to keep my heart surrendered. And I don't ever want to think I'm automatically making a decision that he wants me to make. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Notice the connection once again, fearing the Lord and departing from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Again, in the New Living, it reads this way, verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. One more in the Amplified, I wanna read that. Proverbs 3, verse five in the Amplified. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord. Those are all uh, measures or indicators of intimacy. How much you lean on how much you trust in, how much confidence you have is a measure of intimacy with the Lord. He says, with all your heart and mind, do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him, and he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Reverently fear and worship the Lord and turn entirely from evil. It shall be health to your nerves and sinews and marrow and moistening to your bones. I said one more, but now I mean one more. The Passion Translation, verse five, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. And again, those can get confused. You know good and well it's your opinion, but we call it the voice of the Spirit. Some of us make the Holy Spirit look bipolar. <laughs> Some of us have a schizophrenic Holy Spirit. He told you one thing, and three months later, he's telling you another thing. Why don't, let's just admit I wasn't listening the first time around. Now I'm listening. I, I ended up in my own place. That was my opinion. That was leaning on my own understanding. Now I'm leaning on him. Hey, just get it right. That's all that matters. 
Some of us are giving him an identity crisis, a mental disorder. No, but look what verse 6 says. Look what verse 6 says. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Some of us, our leading is tied to that fear of the Lord. That's that verse, fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't think for a moment that you know it all, for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided attention. And avoid everything that's wrong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, see some of this activity in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul's writing and he says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. I want to remind you that this Corinthian church was a very um, uh, just carnal church, extremely fleshly. They were new believers, new converts, but he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he lets them know, man, uh, by this time, you ought to have been, I ought to have been able to come back and give you the meat of the word, but I'm still having to keep giving you milk of the word. You're still infants. You're still babes in Christ. That even in that early time frame, he's still saying, man, I, I thought you would have been more grown by now. So they just remain very infantile. They remain childish. They remain uh, with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And he has to deal with so many things with this Corinthian church. I heard someone say uh, recently that Paul is working on his letter to the American church. <laughs> and if the Corinthians got two of them, well, I, he's probably on his third or fourth rendition by now. He's like, man, I thought it was the last one. I got to start a whole new book. The American church is far off in these things. And so we can take heed. You know, the Bible is here for our example. The Bible is here so we don't have to make the same slip-ups, make the same mistakes. Yep. And so he's writing to this church, and he says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I love what Pastor Roddy said about the judgment seat. Everyone makes that such a bad deal, the judgment seat of Christ. For the world, for unbelievers, that's, going, that's not gonna be a good day. But for believers, the ones that he has cast their sins into the sea as far as the east is from the west. He has not only scratched them out, he's forgotten them. It's a day where you stand before him and you give account of what you have done and receive a reward according to what you have done. If you watch American Idol, they love to be judged because it tells them if they're advancing, if they're moving on. And so we can't have just this one picture of judgment day that says, oh, that's just gonna be a horrible, wretched day and we're all gonna have to give account of our sinful way. No, if you've been living for the king, you, wanna, you want to be on judgment day standing before the Lord. I, I lived righteously, 
I took the five and I doubled it and made 10. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. That's judgment day. But we're not talking about that. I just wanted to give some clarity there. We're not talking about it, but I did talk about it. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. Verse 11, knowing therefore, he calls it the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. The Passion Translation reads verse 11, since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord. We make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. In Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, verse 12, it says this, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. This is the verse of the New King James says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you're supposed to be scared and anxious and concerned and, and he's watching me and oh man, I messed up? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about keeping a holy awe. It's keeping, the, Paul is letting them know that the natural digression of this thing as we, be, as we continue this life in the kingdom, man, we came in so grateful and so thankful of the things that he redeemed us from and restored us from and kept us from and the, the things that are the, are the old things that have passed away and behold, all things have become new. But if we're not careful, this familiarity will try to show up. The enemy loves that tactic on Christians. When we come into a church service with, with no desire to, no, no draw, no hunger, you remember the first times that you came and, and it was very uh, real and very raw what the Lord did in your life. And you are so grateful to be here and so grateful to be in this environment. We, we are seeing such a, a, a dishonor that is being laid toward the church in the world today. People that are grateful to come out of the confines of the church and the burdens that the church brings. And, oh man, I feel so free just living my life with my personal Lord and Savior. I got my own free time and I don't need someone teaching me because I've got the Holy Spirit and he can teach me from the inside and I don't need a shepherd and I don't need accountability and I don't need godly fellowship. And man, I'm so glad I'm free. Man, that is just an extreme dishonor and you've grown extremely familiar with the thing that you once valued. This is the natural digression if we don't keep a, re keep a reverence and a fear of the Lord. Just real quick, the example that I want to give you, and we're just going to bounce through these passages, but in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see probably the greatest example of one that started well, but finished horribly in King Saul. King Saul was a man that the men, the, 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 the men of Israel, the people of Israel said, we want a king, we want a king. And the prophet Samuel tried to tell him, you don't need a king. God is your king. And God tells Samuel, he says, it's all right. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. But I'll give them what they want. 
And because they get a natural man-made king, he's going to put them in slavery. He's going to bring taskmasters upon them. He's going to flip their world upside down. But that's what they want. I'll give it to them. But King Saul was elected by the, the people of Israel, stood head and shoulders, man, came from the right family, had the wealth, had the prestige, had everything that comes along with that. He looked the part on the outside. But it wasn't long before King Saul started getting motivated by the wrong things. Because we said that the fear of the Lord delights in obedience, but it was obedience that became King Saul's downfall. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gives a command to King Saul. He says, remember, I anointed you as king. You can do this. Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Uh, uh, put, them, put them under, kill everything in sight, every man, woman, child, every animal. Don't leave anything alive. And he goes in and they start killing and demolishing. And again, on the outside, it looks like he's doing the right thing, but he keeps the best of the animals alive. He keeps the, some of the women and children alive. He, keeps, he even keeps the king himself alive, King Agag. And so Samuel shows back up, the prophet shows back up, and he says, wait a minute, I hear stuff that shouldn't be making any noise because dead sheep don't make noise. Dead cows don't make noise. I, one of my first messages I ever got to minister when I got into ministry was, why are dead things talking? Why are you keeping things alive that he's asked you to kill? Maybe one day I'll bring it back out, do a rerun, a 2.0. In verse 20, or in verse, uh, verse 10, let's look at verse 10 first. The Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. He has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Skip on down to verse 20. Samuel confronts him. He says, why do I hear all this noise? You did not obey the Lord, but verse 20 says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my, then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But verse 22 says this, Samuel replies, what is more pleasing? See, that's what happens when the fear of the Lord begins to wane. You think, you, you get your, your, your desires and your pleasures confused. And he thought the Lord would take delight in his sacrifice, but Saul, uh, Samuel says, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, this is, when, when there's no healthy fear of the Lord, you begin to do things. And look, you're still doing it in his name. You're prophesying in his name. 
You're casting out demons in his name. You're laying hands on the sick. Hey, didn't he command us to do that? Absolutely. And on the outside, it looks like you're doing the right thing, but the obedience is what's missing. Because if you keep going in that passage in Matthew chapter seven, he talks about the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. And the difference was not the storm, not the trials, not the issues of life that come and beat on the house. Both of them had winds and rains and storms. The difference was the one that heard the word and obeyed it. That determined if you were built on the sand or built on the rock. And in this case, We've got sacrifice. It, it looks good. In front of people, it looks good. But when God knows the command and God knows the heart, he says obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That's the same thing as depart from me. I never knew you. You skip on down to verse 24. Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. And this is what he says, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. See, who you fear is who you follow. He feared the people, he followed the people. But if you fear the Lord with the healthy fear, you wanna please him, you wanna acknowledge him, you wanna consider him, you wanna yield to him, you wanna surrender to him, a fear of the Lord that causes you to turn away from evil. A fear of the Lord that instills within you, I will obey, I will carry out, I will live my life to the fullest, acknowledging him and doing what he has called me to do. In verse 30, Saul pleaded again. I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people. Look at that. Upside down values. He's more concerned with how he looks in front of the people than how he looks before God. Of course, we know in chapter 16 is when Samuel's commanded to go to Bethlehem, go to Jesse's house and find a boy, find a man that I've already found. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, two chapters earlier, because this is actually the second occurrence that we see where King Saul directly, deliberately disobeyed the word of the, uh, of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 13 verse 14, but now your kingdom must end, that's King Saul, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. What's that? That's the fear of the Lord. That's a sharing of heart. That's a sharing of values. That's a sharing of what's important to you is important to me. What you value, I value. What you honor, I honor. What you love, I love. What you hate, I hate. If you say it, I do it. David was a man after his own heart. David was a man that contained that fear of the Lord. Now, even in his life, we know that the fear of the Lord uh, took a day off. Then he had a bad day, didn't he? 
but he was repentant. Not just remorseful, not just sorrowful, not just sorry I got caught, but true repentance. The fear of the Lord even, see this is where if you'll keep the fear of the Lord in your life, it'll even help you when you, because he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But when there's not even a fear of the Lord, there's not even a, a desire or a value to repent. Instead, you'd rather excuse it. You begin to make tolerances for it. You begin to look lightly upon what God looks strongly upon without a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord guards and protects this intimacy that we're talking about. The last thing we want is we become so intimate with the Father that we become familiar with him and it destroys everything that we think we're doing in his name, but with the wrong motives and with the wrong heart. I actually did have one last thing that I wanted to share regarding the fear of the Lord. Four things real quick in obedience. What are y'all laughing about? Don't laugh at me. It's one thing that has four parts. Y'all are funny. I'm going to go another hour just for that. Y'all just sit tight. Lord, you will obey instantly. Obey instantly. What do we say? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Be quick to obey. Number two, he will obey without understanding. It doesn't need to make sense for you to go ahead and step out with a healthy fear of the Lord. Doesn't make sense to build this ark. We've never seen rain. But fear of the Lord, Noah was a righteous man. Amen. Number three, he will obey even if it costs him. You don't obey up to a threshold. You don't obey as long as it doesn't require a great sacrifice. You'll obey if it costs you everything. Men and women in the New Testament, book of Acts, they were obeying even to the point of death. Jesus obeyed even unto death. And number four, you will obey even if the benefit isn't easily recognizable. You will obey even if the benefit isn't easily recognizable. You're not obeying with an incentive. You're not obeying as long as I get something in return. You're not obeying with, with, with something dangling on the end. You're obeying and saying, if, the, if there's no, if the, I, I'm, I don't even have to be incentivized to follow through with what you're telling me to do. Father, we thank you that we can foster in our hearts a healthy fear of the Lord. We can promote the things you promote. We can love the things that you love. We can value the things that you value because we keep a fear of the Lord within our hearts, a fear of the Lord that keeps us postured in an awe, a tremendous awe, a tremendous admiration, a tremendous adoration. May we never treat you lightly. May we never treat your word lightly. May we never treat your commands lightly. May we never take for granted all that you have acquired for us. But with real reverence, real awe, real value in our hearts, 
Father, we can passionately live for you, not just carrying out religious activity, but from the heart, reflecting and representing all that your kingdom is. We believe this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.